Evil has been around a very, very long time. And if you are walking wisely, you are not walking in the ways of evil. And it says it's the fear of the Lord will help you do that as you, you are walking by trusting in God's wisdom. Are you looking for meaning or a word from God that's relevant to your life? Are you searching for a better understanding of who God is? Well, you're in the right place. You found the Gary Talks About God podcast. This is a weekly podcast that comes to you from the pulpit of Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. The podcast is hosted by Red Bank Senior Pastor Gary Sanders. Now let's get ready to take that walk through God's Word with our pastor, teacher, and friend. Hey, he's that guy we call Gary. Have your Bibles this morning, Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. And I'm going to make a couple of references this morning to our Sunday school class because a couple of things came out in Sunday school class that fit well uh, within the message this morning. So if you're not here for Sunday school, you don't know what you're missing. Uh, so I encourage you to be here for that. But as we get started, how many of you, and I know at least one person in here is going to raise their hand, and so I'm not going to call on him. He can't answer. How many of you know what a blaze is? B-L-A-Z-E. And I don't mean a house fire. Anybody know what a blaze is? No one knows what a blaze is. I was hoping he'd at least raise his hand. I wasn't going to call on him, but I was hoping there would be one person who knows what a blaze is. Oh, my goodness. Chevy SUV. Throw an ER on. Uh, All right. If you go to Hanging Rock today and you park up there in, in the parking lot, and you follow the signs that point you off the Hanging Rock Trail. Oh, it just clicked in. You could see. You follow the signs to go to Hanging Rock Trail. When you start walking down Hanging Rock Trail, what you're going to notice is you walk down that trail, it looks like somebody has graffitied some trees. They've gone down through there and spray-painted orange circles on some trees. Now, it's not one after another. Usually it's after a few hundred feet or something, but you'll see an orange dot. That orange dot is called a blaze. It's a trailblaze, and it tells you that you are on the right path. So if you see an orange trail dot and you walk for another 20 minutes and you don't see an orange trail dot, you have gotten off the path and you are now officially lost. Now, not all blazes are orange. They, they, they're, they can be any color. They can be painted on. They can be any shape. They can be a plastic sign nailed to, to the tree. But the whole point is, while you are walking on the trail you know where you're going, right? Because we've all read the stories of people who have gotten lost in the woods where they've gotten off the trail. I've told my scouts as we've talked about safe hiking before because we always have these stories about that one person that got off the trail and got lost in the wilderness and survived alone in the wilderness for days and how amazing it was. I've always told them that if they do that, when they come interview me, what did I teach them to survive? I'm The first thing I'm looking at them said, I didn't teach them any of that. I taught them how to hike safely and everything they did was wrong. That, that, I've told them very clearly, that's going to be my answer. They were an idiot, and they didn't follow my advice, and that's why they were lost for four days, okay? But, and I'm serious, I'm very serious. As you're walking, you want to know that you're on the right path, right? It would be foolish to walk off the path. Now, let's take that and apply it to our Christian life. When you read the Bible, it does not take very long to see the word walk, to see the word journey occur over and over and over in Scripture. 
Sometimes, literally, right? The person walks from one place to another. The Israelites walked, okay? We understand that. But a lot of times, it's also used for a metaphor for believers and what we are called to do. It is a reminder that we are on a Christian journey, that we are on a path that we are supposed to be walking on and we're supposed to be following. And we're supposed to be doing that with wisdom. So here's the question. How do we walk in wisdom? How do we do that? We were in Sunday school this morning. You know, it's not a verse that I had down, but we're called in Ephesians 5. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. How do we walk in wisdom? Proverbs chapter 3 this morning outlines for us five ways to walk in wisdom. So here's what Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1 through verse 12 says. It says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves and as a father, the son in whom he delights. So this morning, I want you to notice five ways to walk in wisdom. Number one, we walk in wisdom by treasuring God's Word. We walk in wisdom by treasuring God's Word. This is at the very beginning. Uh, this is still uh, Solomon writing to, to his son, and it says, I want you, son, do not forget my teaching. Now, he says my teaching and my commandments, and in just a minute he'll say my faithfulness. He's not really referring to his he is referring to the teaching that he has taught his son from God's Word. It is a reflection back to God's Word and God's teaching. And he tells his son, he says, look, don't forget. D don't, don't forget. But instead, let your heart keep my commandments. Now, if you're reading that, you're going to notice a dichotomy there, right? The first line is really talking about the head, and the second line is talking about the heart. Because not forgetting is more than just mental understanding. It's more than just remembering what has been taught, right? All of us, as, as we age, have gotten to the point where we start to forget some things, right? It, it, it happens. You, we're going to forget. We're, we're going to forget some parts of Scripture. We might not remember. You might have that nagging. I, I think I uh, remember reading something, and then we go do our Google search, and we go to the back of our Bibles trying to find that verse, and you know, we, we spend 30 minutes trying to, to, to look back into God's Word to see what that verse was that we forgot. So it can't just be 
don't forget, because we're, we're going to forget. What it is, is an obedience issue. See, with the mind we know, but with the heart we obey. That's what he says, but let your heart keep my commandments. Let your heart keep my word. There are some commandments that we have been told to do. There are some commandments that we have been told to obey. And here is Solomon telling his son, saying, look, obey God's commandments. Keep them. God's made it very clear that He expects us to do stuff. He expects us to behave in certain ways. I know we, we don't like to think of it in terms of do's and don'ts, but there's a lot of do's and don'ts in Scripture that tell us how to live a godly good life. Things to avoid. Things to do. And the question is not do we know them, but do we obey them? Again, going back to the hiking analogy, using my scouts as an example, they know there's some basic hiking rules that, that we have laid down for them. You don't hike alone. You tell somebody where you're going, what time you're leaving, and what time you're going to be back. You take food with you. You take water with you. There, there's some rules. Now, I've got some scouts who can recite all the rules but have a hard time with the obeying part of the rules. Because it's the obedience part that's going to keep them safe. It's the obedience part that's going to keep them on the path. And the same with us. It's the obedience part that keeps us on the path. And even Christ, or excuse me, even God here in His Word tells us in each one of these, as we do what is told, He said there's a, there's a promise attached to it. If we do this, we're going to have a length of days and years of life and peace. Walking in God's Word and treasuring His Word is going to be for us a, a way to extend our life so that we have a life that is one that is of peace, that is one of joy. Right? Because remember, joy is not external. Joy is internal. And even if the world falls apart around us, we can still have joy and peace inside because Christ and the Holy Spirit is in us. It doesn't, to an extent, matter what happens outside us. But we have that peace in us because we understand, we know, and we obey God's Word. We treasure His Word. That's one way that we can walk in wisdom. Secondly, we walk in wisdom by embracing God's mercy. It says, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. That word, every time you see steadfast love, you, you need to pay attention to that. Because th that, that's that word that I've talked about. We, we, we've gone over it many times here at Red Bank. It's that, the Hebrew word hesed. And, and we, the, 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 we don't really have a good word to translate it into English because it's more than just steadfast love. It's, it's an all-encompassing love of God that, that never sways, right? We read Psalm 9. He says, you are from everlasting to everlasting. And it will never go away. And we're told not to forsake His steadfast love. Instead, bind them around our neck. Write them on the tablet of our heart. So wherever we go, we go in God's steadfast love, His, His mercy, His grace. And you think, how can we forsake them? 
How, how can we forsake God's mercy? Well, same way that we're told in the, in the New Testament not to grieve the Holy Spirit. We forsake God's goodness. We forsake His mercy. We forsake His steadfast love. We forsake His grace when we know that God's Word says don't and we do, or we know that God's Word says do and we don't. where we understand that God is leading us, but we don't want to have anything to do with what God is doing. Go through the New Testament. Think of that time of Peter, right? Peter and Jesus, they're talking. And, and Peter, is, is he's gung-ho, right? He, he's ready to go. And he understands that Jesus is going to go to the cross. And, and Jesus going to the cross is going to be the ultimate picture of God's steadfast love and mercy. And what does Peter say? Peter says, I will not let you do that. I'm sure Peter wasn't thinking about it in this context, but at that moment... Peter was wanting to reject God's steadfast love and mercy. See how easy it is? It's almost like we can do it without even thinking that it's happening. God, I know that you're good to me, but I don't really want it. You ever met somebody who just doesn't want... You've met that one person, right, that's just happy when they're not happy? You ever met that person? It's really kind of weird, isn't it? It's like somebody wants to be nice to them and kind to them, and they just they don't know how to accept and receive kindness. And they're like, no, I don't, I don't want that. Oh, you'd rather be miserable? Yeah, that'll make me happy. I, I, okay, <laughs> I, I, I guess. We don't want to be like that. We want to embrace them so that they're, they're bound around our neck, that we can't get, get rid of them. They're written on the tablet of our heart. Again, notice the permanence there. Written on the tablet like God when He wrote the Ten Commandments in the stone, right? They're written in stone and you can't get rid of them. They're on our heart. He says, if you do that, you're going to find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Why is that true? Why will we find favor in the sight of God and man? Because at that moment, we're welcoming God into our lives and we're saying, all right, I'm going to walk with you as you lead and you guide me. I welcome the goodness and mercy in your life. And right now, we could probably stand up and, and spend the rest of the service this morning testifying to when we have embraced God's steadfast love and mercy in all the times that we have found favor in His sight and what He has done for us in those times. If you want to walk in wisdom, we, we've got to embrace God's Mercy. A third way to walk in wisdom this morning is to trust God's wisdom. Now, if you're looking at Proverbs 3, I hope you noticed a couple things. And one of the things I hope you notice is that each one of these, in this section of these 12 verses, it goes 2, 2, 4, 2, 2. Right? So if you were just looking at that and you thought, okay, is one of these maybe more important than the others, which section would you say is maybe just a little more important? Well, it would be in verses 5 through 8, where Solomon spends four verses talking about trusting in the Lord instead of two and all the others. Because it's so very important. He tells us, Look, notice again the economy in verse 8. Trust in the Lord 
with all your heart. Have you noticed he keeps going back to the heart? This, this, this is not mental. Uh, it, it is to the point that we need to know it, but it, it, it's, it's not just mental assent. Everybody can mentally assent to stuff. It's, it's, it's always an obedience issue. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And that word trust there literally means to, your, your face down before your master waiting for him. And as I was thinking about trust, y'all remember, uh, I guess it's been a while now, when trust falls were all the rage, right? Y'all remember this? Anybody know what I'm talking about? I, I remember it from being on a couple of teams in the 90s. Trust fall, where you had to go and, and you had to stand perfectly still. And, and the whole point was to fall straight back, right? You couldn't kind of crib, I don't know, just, you, you couldn't bend your knees to kind of brace yourself just in case. Now, here's the problem. Most of the times I was doing this, it was, it was with, and I remember it mostly in college with some teams, trying some teams. Most of them were my age, you know, 19, 20, 21. I didn't trust them. Because <laughs> let's be honest, 19, 20, 21-year-old guys, we're not the most trustworthy people in the world. Right? But the whole point was just to stand, and, and you were going to fall into their arms, and, and, and they were going to catch you. They, they weren't going to let you fall. And I'm just like, I don't trust you. I'm not going to do it. I did, but I always bent my knees, because you know at least that way I was going to hit my butt instead of my head. But th th this is what Solomon is saying. We've got to trust the Lord. We've we got to wholeheartedly trust in Him. And while the idea of a trust fall into God's arm is a little bit silly, you get the idea that God is going through, as, as we trust Him, He is going to direct and guide our path. And Solomon says here, trust in the Lord with all your heart. All your heart. But don't do this. Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't lean on your own understanding. You know, lean sideways. And again, I always go to, to, ver to, to mental images. I'm a very, in case you haven't figured this out, of all the learning styles, I'm, I'm visual. I, I, I just process things that way. And so I was kind of imagining, you know, when you stand up and you lean up against the wall or something, and I kind of imagined that wall was our wisdom. And I thought, man, how many times has that wall collapsed? <laughs> how many times has it, has it just, just crumbled because I thought, I understood it all. I, I knew it all. I can do it. It's all about me. It's all about what I want to do. And, and I, I, I can do this. But what we find out is when we do that, we lean on our own understanding and, and we're wise in our own eyes. And inevitably, we end up looking very foolish. Because we find out that our wisdom isn't much. Now, we, we may be brilliant. We may know all kinds of stuff. But there's a difference between, again, knowing and obeying. Solomon says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Acknowledge Him in, in all your ways. Everything. Again, thinking back, I don't think the debate is, or you don't hear it as, as, as much now, but you used to hear this, this idea of, of being able to compartmentalize your life, 
right? I, I, I don't think I've heard about it as much now as, as, as several years ago. Compartmentalize your life, and it was this compartment, and this compartment, and this compartment, and this compartment, and, and, and you just you kind of existed almost in however many different compartments you had, you existed in, in that many different lives almost. There, there is no compartmentalization of a Christian's life. We can't go, all right, this is work and it's all me. But this is family and, and okay, we'll let God in a little bit. And this is church one hour a week, so that's all God right there. And, and this is recreation, and it really comes out to depends on, on how well I'm, I'm doing in my recreation that day is whether or not God is, is with me or not. But, you know, it could be 50-50. And, and, and this over here is friendships. Yeah, we'll let God in. And, and we kind of, we, we can't do that. That there is no way in our life where we don't acknowledge God. There is nothing in our lives as a Christian that is off limits to God. <laughs> in every way, acknowledge Him. Debbie brought that up in Sunday school again. I told you, you've got to be in Sunday school. You can learn a lot of good stuff in Sunday school. Debbie was saying, you get up and you don't know exactly what's going to happen that, that day, but, but you get up and say, all right, Holy Spirit, here I am. Wow. Whether it's going out and, 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 and working or whether it's going out and doing recreation, or whatever, saying, it's, it's yours. I'm acknowledging you this morning that whatever I'm going to do, I'm acknowledging your way in me. And it says, when you do that, He will make your path straight. You wouldn't need blazes on a trail if the path was straight. Would you? I, I mean, let's, let, let's be honest. Do you really need a blaze on a, on a trail that the path is straight? You can see the path. You can see where it starts. You can see where it ends. You don't need anything. You just, you just go. But boy, you go up here to Hanging Rock State Park and you take that the Hanging Rock Trail or you, you, you go and take some of the other one that, that's up there. Go to Stone Mountain. Go, go ahead. Go to Stone Mountain and take the Stone Mountain Trail <laughs> and not pay attention to, to the markings. Those blazes are, are like God showing you that you're on the right path. You're going in the right direction. Because He is going to make your path straight. But do not be wise, it says, in your own eyes. Don't look in your eyes and say, hey, this, this is what I want to do, how smart I am. He says, no, instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Going back to that verse from Ephesians 5, it, it finishes, it says, make the, the best use of time because the days are evil. That was written thousands of years ago. <laughs> Paul was writing and says, the days are are evil. Solomon was right even before Paul says, turn away from evil. Evil has been around a very, very long time. And if you are walking wisely, you are not walking in the ways of evil. And it says it's the fear of the Lord will help you do that as you, you are walking by trusting in, in God's wisdom. Because you'll learn, you know what? I don't want to stand before God covered in my sin. I don't want to stand before God and try to justify what I'm doing that's not right when He's told me not to do it, but I'm doing it anyway.
Next time you do something that you know you're not supposed to do, take, take, here's a little mental exercise for you. Stop what you're doing and pretend Jesus is to your right and turn to him and start to justify to him why you're doing what you're doing. And I bet you in that moment, if you got up and was acknowledging him in all your ways, I bet you in that moment when you turn to him, there's going to be a little bit of fear to the Lord the sin will turn you around and put you back on the path of wisdom because you're going to want to avoid and stay away from that evil. Because if you don't stay away from the evil, it's going to crush you. It's not going to be healing to you. It's not going to be refreshment to you. Instead, it's going to crush you and grind you down. Solomon says, though, if we trust in the Lord, if we trust in His wisdom and we walk in His ways, then that's going to be healing to our flesh, or to our flesh and refreshment in our bones. Because God's wisdom is better than ours. God's wisdom is refreshing to us. Feels good. All of us here have prayed for wisdom. God, I need wisdom to understand what is going on. We have that great prayer in James that if we come and we ask for wisdom, God is going to give it to us. He's going to give us more than we want. And, and you go to God and you, you pray, God, I've got this situation at work and I just I don't know how to handle it. Will you give me wisdom to handle it in a godly manner? And God gives you that wisdom and you're in that business meeting or you're in that presentation or, or whatever that day and, and you, you follow God's wisdom and you follow what God has told you to do and you get to the end and you know what you feel? You don't go, I can't believe I did that. You walk out going, I feel good. I feel all right. Why? Because God's wisdom as you trusted in His wisdom, is healing to your flesh and refreshment in your bones. It feels good because it is good. Then number four, we're told to walk in wisdom by sharing His blessings. Honor the Lord with your wealth. The first fruits of your produce, honor the Lord with your wealth. Not supposed to preach about politics or money. So let's talk about money. Because God's Word does. Again, it's not a mental thing. It's an obedience thing. But have you ever stopped, and, and I kind of wrestled with this this week, have you ever stopped and asked yourself, why does God want my money? Well, first of all, you need to change the pronoun. Okay, it's not your money, it's God's. He is the one who owns all the silver, all the gold, the cattle on the thousand hills. Everything that you have, he gave to you. That's, that's the first thing you need to understand. It's not his wealth, or excuse me, it's not your wealth, it's his. That's number one. But number two, why does God ask you to give back what he has given to you? Does God need our money? I mean, let, let's be honest, does God need my money? He created the heavens and the earth. I think he can get away without my money. I, I just, he's seen my accounts. He's not going to get much done in a day. <laughs> right? So let's just all admit, it doesn't matter whether you have nothing in the bank or you have millions in the bank. God doesn't need your money. So why does God command us to honor him? Again, it's an obedience issue. 
It's an obedience issue. Are we going to obey? Because what we find out in life and what you find out very quickly is money and stuff and things that you own, you become very quickly attached to and very possessive of. How am I going to spend my money? What am I going to do with my money? We don't want to get rid of it. We want to hoard it, keep it, take it to the U-Haul with us as we go to the cemetery. Hook it up behind the hearse. But we're not, good, we're not taking it with us. So God says, look, I want you to trust me. Now we're removed from this. Look at what it says, all right? It says, with the first fruits of your produce. Now, it says wealth and produce. Now, for us, we kind of forget, we, we miss the produce part, right? We, we're not an agrarian culture anymore. Well, it simply means we don't grow our own food. By and large, we don't. We go to the grocery store. We go to the farmer's market. We, we, we buy our own, we buy our fruit. So it's very different then to tell somebody whose food supply was behind their house, literally, when you go out and you harvest the wheat, when you go out and, and you take down the olives, when you go out and you gather the dates, when you go out and gather the figs, what I want you to do is if you've got 10 bushels, you take the first one. Now, wait a minute. We just talked about life. Now, now it's, it's more than just sharing wealth. It's now about life and death. Because they're giving away their food in an arid, dry climate where water and crops are a priority. And God looks at them and says, hey, I want some of those figs. I want a little bit of that barley. Take it into my storehouse. Take it to the temple. And give it to the priest. Now, I, I, I know you can go, well, the, the money can be used. It was used. I, I'm not really talking about what it's used for at the moment, okay? But it takes great faith to take your food that your sustenance is in living. Now, apply that to today. Because if you give to the Lord, we're not giving produce, although, thank you, Roger and Julie. All of us are fascinated by what a lemon cucumber tastes like this morning. Every last one of us who got one, we're going to go home and cut it up and see what does a lemon cucumber taste like. But God is saying, give your wealth. Honor him with your wealth. And he promises, look at the promise. He says, if you honor me with your wealth, your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. He, he's not saying that if you give me what I have commanded you to give, that then I will allow you to scrape by. Instead, as you give what I have told you to give, your barns and your vats are going to be bursting forth and overflowing. Did the Israelites have enough obedience to take the bushels and the buckets of their, of their produce to the temple and give it so that in response that God would take the, the 90% that's left and make it overflowing so that they don't have to worry? Do you trust God enough this morning that as you tie to the church, as you give to missions, as you give to ministry, as you store up treasure in heaven, that God is going to then bless you, not so that you just scrape by on the ends, but he's going to bless you so that your vats and your barns are overflowing. 
Now, this is not a prosperity gospel. Y'all have heard me preach again. This is not a prosperity gospel. However, God has made it clear in His Word that you sow what you sow, you reap. And He says in the New Testament, if you sow, sow what? If you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. But if you sow generously, you're going to give generously. That's why when you get to the New Testament, and I know some of you, some, we've, we've talked, talked about this to some of you, the, the command to tithe is not in the New Testament. See the part where Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill it. The command in the New Testament is to give generously and joyously, not with a clenched fist. And I think 10% is a good place to start, but I don't think that's where we stop. I think we should give more. I shared with you at the beginning of last year and then this year, the past two years, we've increased our giving to the church in more than one way. And I don't say that to, to, to brag and say, look at Gary, I'm saying that because the only person's giving I know about is mine. All right? Again, I've said this for years. I don't know how much any of you give. I've never asked. But what I've noticed is God is true to his word. What I wish I had noticed was he was true to his word 30 years ago. <laughs> but even then, he was. It comes down to an obedience issue. Are we going to obey? But then finally, we walk in wisdom by accepting God's correction. By accepting God's correction. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. I don't know which as a dad I, I like, or, or thinking as a dad, which I like least. Meting out discipline or having been on the receiving end of discipline. Not that I was ever on the receiving end of discipline as a kid. I, I, was, I, was, I was a wonderful child. Um, we were at my mom's the other day. There's a great story about a perceived disobedience and, and a dictionary. Um, to which the dictionary is still retained at my mom's house. And I told her one of these days I'm going to break in, take that dictionary and burn it. Um, because it was used as discipline very effectively, I might add, by the way. Right? You don't like discipline. None of us likes discipline. We don't, we don't like it. Now, we're not talking about punishment. We're not talking about punitive. Right? This is not just punishment for punishment's sake. This is the discipline. Discipline means correction. Does it have a punitive element in it? Yes, quite possibly, but it means correction. Discipline means that you didn't behave correctly. There may be some consequences, but this is how you obey. This is how you behave correctly going forward. None of us like that. We don't like to be disciplined. We don't like to be reproofed. We don't like to be told that we did something wrong. Yet here's Solomon saying to him, do not despise the Lord's discipline. When the Lord comes to our lives, then he will discipline us. He absolutely will. He will say, that was wrong. You shouldn't have done that. Creates in us shame that we talked about this morning in Sunday school. You've got to be in Sunday school. Which leads us to repentance, confessing our sins, turning from that, accepting his discipline, and we accept it because he does it to whom he loves. 
as a father delights in his son. Discipline is a loving correction. God disciplines us because he loves us and he wants the best for us. He doesn't want us to be enslaved in sin. He doesn't want us to lean on our own understanding. He doesn't want us to walk in the ways of evil. He doesn't want us to go through life with a clenched fist around our, our, our wealth. He doesn't want us to neglect his steadfast love and mercy. He doesn't want us to disobey his commandments. He wants us to do all that so that the goodness of his word will be proven in our lives. The goodness of God will be proven in our lives. And so that our lives then on aggregate are easier instead of more difficult. He says, look, I love you so much that I won't want you to make that mistake again because it's going to bring hurt and it's going to bring sorrow. And God's saying, I, don't, I, I love you too much for you to experience that, right? As parents, we know that we don't want our children to do that. One of the hardest things to do, and parents, you know this, is to look at your kid and go, you know what? When I was your age, I did the same thing. It was really, really stupid, and this is what it cost me. Hey, I didn't listen to your grandma, but maybe you'll listen to me and do this. Because I love you and I don't want you to do it. And that's what God the Father is doing. He's going, I love you. I don't want you to do it. I delight in you. So when you mess up, I'm going to discipline you. He's not going to hurt us. It may cause some uncomfort and some unease because, let's be honest, when we mess up and we get called on the discipline, it's not fun. When the Holy Spirit, whose role is to, to shine forth into our hearts and, and reveal our sinful hearts and, and the sin that we commit, it's not fun for that to be exposed to light. Yet He does it because He loves us. Solomon says, walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom. And then he outlines how to do it. And this morning as I close, what I want us to do is I want us to take a minute and I want us to move past the walking in wisdom in this life now. Because it's so very important that, that we do this. And I know that some of you have probably already thought, because when, I've taught, when we've preached on Proverbs and we've gone through Proverbs, and uh, I've made it very clear that Proverbs is not a promise, but pro Proverbs is a principle. And I need you to listen carefully, because you, you, uh, you, if you don't, you're, you're going to walk away and going, Gary just contradicted his entire sermon, and I'm not. The reason that Proverbs is principles is because they are, when applied, they are generally true, right? All of these, we can testify that they are true. We can all testify this morning of one person or one instance where it was not true, can we not? So Proverbs, when applied, are, generally, are general principles that are generally true. And if we want to walk in a way that is true and loving and obedient to God, to walk in wisdom, we're going to follow these principles, right? We're going we're to treasure God's Word. We're going to embrace God's mercy. We're going, we're going to trust His wisdom. We're going to share His, His blessings that He's given us, and we're going to accept His correction. And as we do that, those, those principles, those generally true principles at the end are going to be applied to us, right? You know what else is great about Proverbs? There's going to come a time 
when all of those principles will indeed turn into promises. Because when you go back and you read those promises very carefully, it sounds a whole lot like heaven, doesn't it? Because it says that as you do that, the length of your days and, and, and years of life and, and peace, heaven is going to be a place that is defined by peace. We're going to find favor in all eternity with the sight of God and man with one another because we're all in there together. He's going to make our straight path. It's going to be healing to your flesh, refreshment to your bones, and you can't help but then to think about the river and revelation and the trees for healing. We haven't gotten that to our study yet, but it's there. We will. Our barns will be filled with plenty. You go to Revelation, you look at the great feast in Revelation. And then it says, a father in whom the son in whom he delights. Where we spend all eternity delight, being God delighting in us as his children. We walk in wisdom now. And we experience that these Proverbs are generally true. But as we walk in wisdom now and we follow and obey God and we, we give our obedience and our allegiance to Him, what we're going to find out is as we walk from this life into the next life, every one of those prom- pr- principles become promises. And we're going to see the ultimate fulfillment of each one of them in heaven. So why don't we do this? Why don't we walk in wisdom now and prepare ourselves for what is to come? To prepare ourselves for the perfection of these principles. To prepare ourselves to live for all eternity in the favor of God as a son in whom he delights. You've been listening to the Gary Talks About God podcast. Are you looking for a church? Well, Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church is a community of believers who exist to glorify God and see transformed lives through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can find us on the web at www.redbankmbc.com. Also, come visit us on Sunday at 8104 Red Bank Road in Germantown, North Carolina. Did you like this podcast? We put one out each and every week, so don't forget to subscribe. We hope this has been a blessing to you, and we thank you for listening.